What would you give to increase sales by 8% of your restaurant? Restaurants leveraging the power of Yelp Guest Manager paired with Yelp ads enjoy up to an 8% monthly lift in diner bookings through Yelp. It makes sense, right? Millions of people use Yelp every day to find restaurants, and they're using that same trusted platform to book reservations and add themselves to wait lists. Your restaurant could be busier today. To learn more, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and quote podcast. Yelp Internal Data 2021. Based on average results from a sample study of restaurants with guest manager that purchased Yelp ads between April and July 2021 in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York City. Results may vary. Now here we go. But because we've created this community where people know that we will share their content or that we will work together and collaborating content, it really opens us up to be able to share more because it's not reliant on us having to be there in every place. So what that's done is that's fed a social media beast. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators served up on the house. What does it take to acquire 1 million followers on Instagram? In this episode, we sit down with Jabin Troth of License to Distill to discuss the step-by-step process he used to create a massive audience on social media and the tactics he used to transform that audience into a loyal community. If you've been struggling with what to say and how to say it on social media, this is the episode for you. I've always been in sales and marketing in different industries and never had done anything with social media at all. I was working for a company about six or seven years ago. I'd been there for a long time, was successful doing sales in the apparel industry. And as the industry started going through some ups and downs, I realized that I may need to make a shift at some point. And social media was a blind spot, not only for me professionally, but personally. I didn't have any social media at all. No Instagram page, no Facebook page, no nothing. So I told my wife one day, I said, you know, at some point I'm going to have to learn how to do this. I may need it in whatever my next step is. So why don't you start me a page? I don't want it to be about my life personally. I want to be something I'm into. In this case, it was cocktails. We named it License to Distill. And she started the page. I started posting content on it. And fast forward a couple of months, the company that I worked for shut down the division I was working in. So literally went in one day and they said, hey, can we chat? We're no longer going to be doing this. I said, okay, effective when? They said, effective today. So I essentially packed up my stuff. And after being there for over a decade, and like I said, being very successful there, I was faced with a shift in what I was going to do. And thankfully, a couple of months before I'd started License to Distill, And that's when I just dove in and took what I had learned, even in that short period of time and realized I have something here and this is going to be at the foundation of what I do next. When I started the podcast, we were at the very top of a global pandemic and we had just sold all the restaurants. I was on unemployment like every other person on the planet. And a buddy of mine asked, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to start a podcast. And he goes, why? And I said, to build an audience. And he goes, why? And I said, because you know what you can do with an audience? And he goes, what? And I said, whatever the fuck you want. 
it's this amazing thing because audience can become community, right? Over time, if that's your intention. And through License to Distill, you created audience, but then you took it a step further and you created community. Talk to me about that transition. Yeah, that was not intentional for me. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that thought out. Like I said, when I started this, it was more for me to learn social media as a whole, but we quickly saw the momentum that it had, but also what we were doing in terms of shifting people's perceptions on cocktails and how it was affecting the way they viewed cocktails, not only on social, but as they you know went out to eat, went out to drink. All of a sudden they were complaining about things like cloudy ice or <laughs> cocktails not being balanced or, or some of those things that maybe they didn't know about, but all of a sudden when they saw that it's very easy to make clear ice and it looks a lot better. And if you give some thought to your ice program, it's attainable for everybody, even at your house. Now they go to a restaurant or a bar and they see ice that looks like the ice in their freezer. And they're like, I'm sorry, this isn't good enough. And not just us, but we were one of those pages that helped shift that into a community of people that cared a lot more about their cocktails than they did before. And it took us some time to realize that that's what was building. But then of course, as you said, that is a powerful thing. So once we realized we had it, that's when the light bulb kind of went on. It was like, we need to make this something that I do, not just as a hobby, but for a career. Did you find people or did people find you? We definitely were found by others. I mean, at that time, growth on Instagram was a whole different animal than it is right now. Anyone that has been trying to grow their audience on Instagram over the last five, six, seven years will tell you that there was a lot more opportunities for growth with the Explorer page and other things. And we tapped into some very viral content that was related to cocktails that no one else was really focusing in on. At the time we started License to Distill, most pages were posting really beautiful cocktail photography. That time you could only post a 15 second video on Instagram, hardly enough time to really dive into a full cocktail, you know, being made. But we searched out video because video is what Instagram was pushing. And so we found a lot with like Japanese ice carving at bars, you know, smoked cocktails, stuff that was visually stunning that was told through video. And Instagram did the job for us. They put it in front of people that didn't follow us. And I mean, those are the good old days. You'd post a video and you'd literally be refreshing your feed and see hundreds of followers a minute coming in. It's not like that anymore. But at the time, that's what we were experiencing. When you look at your core competency, what's your best in the world at? Would you say that it's creation or would you say it's curation? So License to Distill is very unique because we do both. And most, I guess you'd say typical like influencers don't do that. All of them do a wonderful job, but you're seeing their perspective. It's very rare for you to go to like a cocktail influencer's page and he's posted a video that his buddy made that's also a cocktail influencer. But simply out of necessity and the fact that I wasn't a content creator when I started this, we were 100% curation. That's what we were doing. And we were consulting with brands or even running social for brands, helping them see how content curation can help them reduce their content costs and still put out some really interesting content, kind of like a blog or a, a digital magazine type of format. But as License to, to, to still continue to grow, all of a sudden brands were coming to us and going, well, do you create content? And obviously we had years of experience of knowing what our audience liked and disliked. So we shifted to being able to create content 
So what you see now on our page is a mix. And I love it like that because I like being able to have a bartender from someplace I haven't even visited before, you know, another part of the world go, Hey, we just did this new cocktail menu. Check out this cocktail. And I can completely say, cool, we're going to share it. I didn't make the content. I don't present it as though I made it, but we get to shine a spotlight on that bar or that bartender and not be like, well, Hey, unless I'm there in person, unless it's in my style, unless it's shot with my camera and edited by me, we're not posting it. Like, no, let's champion this. Let them get the shine on license to distill. How do you communicate with your audience? Is it through Instagram DMs? What is the most conventional method of communication? I still answer every DM that we get, as long as it's a valid question. I don't get the ones that, you know, for advertising for followers and stuff like that. We ignore some of them, but I still look at all the DMs we get. People do email us or contact us through our website, but primarily if they want a direct contact, it's a DM. Comments can kind of get lost in the feed because we can get so many notifications, but a DM, all the DMs still come through. We still check them. All the ones that are valid, we're at least responding to in some form or fashion. Are you still bullish on Instagram? <laughs> Is Instagram listening? Well, <laughs> I, so no, he, he, here's why I ask, because it's obviously the audience is independent restaurant owners and operators. And like they've heard for years, like you've got to be on Instagram, right? Are you on Twitter? Are you on Facebook? Are you part of Facebook groups? Now, are you on TikTok? And it's always yeah. the same call to action. Like, man, you've got to get on TikTok now before the algorithm changes and then no one will ever find you and you won't be able to build an audience. And these are busy people, right? And yeah. so yeah. you've built an entire business, a culture, a community yeah. off of one of these platforms. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Instagram's frustrating. That's the bottom line. If I was starting License to Distill today in an intentional way, I would have an Instagram page, but I don't think it would be my focus. It continues to be the focus because that's where the largest audience is. And it's still for our clientele, what actually drives revenue to us. That industry tends to be a little bit behind the curve. And so Instagram is still very much at the forefront. There are some concerns with a lot of the brands we work with about age gating on TikTok that I think need to get rectified before they go all in. I mean, I think more and more are going that way, but it's definitely not across the board, you know, as far as all the brands. We have shifted recently to more YouTube content. And there's a couple of different reasons. One, because we're doing a lot more longer form content that we don't find is very conducive to Instagram or TikTok, but also YouTube has introduced YouTube shorts, which is very much in the style of Instagram reels or TikTok. And our videos have done really well on there. And one of the things that we have found, regardless of the audience that we're building, YouTube has really done a really good job of trying to communicate with creators and bring us in to the fold. We're on weekly calls with other creators and representatives from YouTube getting feedback, giving feedback, hearing about trends that are going on, being able to be beta testers. And it's that kind of transparency and communication that you could talk to many creators on Instagram and potentially on TikTok as well. They wish they could have that. They wish they could have some sort of connection to get some answers to some things or some clarity to things that just Instagram does not give you. So we found this to be really refreshing and we decided, you know what, we're going to dive in on it. So that is a focus for us. But Instagram, because that's where our largest audience is, is not going away anytime soon. 
for us. And that's where the majority of our clients want to see their content because it's going to get the biggest audience there. What have you done to try and own your audience? The struggle with Instagram is the same struggle with podcasting, right? Like we don't own our audiences. I don't know their names. I don't have their email addresses, their phone numbers. I don't know when their birthday is. And it's the same struggle for independent restaurateurs in many cases. What efforts have you made to own your audience? One of the things that we have tried to do is convert them as much as possible to something a little bit more direct, like an email list with varying degrees of success. The frustration, I think, with all forms of social media, I put YouTube in this as well, as wonderful of an experience we're having with them. At the end of the day, you're not going to reach everyone that you want to reach with your content. And that is really frustrating. And so there has to be, in our minds, at least an attempt to have a backup way of reaching out to them with something that you really want them to see. You're launching and you can't obviously beat them over the head with everything that comes out. But recently we launched a new series on YouTube. That's something unique. It's something different. Something we put a lot of time and effort into. That's going to get emailed to people and probably retargeted and retargeted until we get a fairly decent open rate. Because the fact is, you have no control over what is going to get seen by the majority of your audience or a portion of your audience and what's not. We have found that some of the best content that we've ever created in terms of the visuals, the editing, how beautifully it was shot, all of those things, they get viewed the least on social media. Whereas I can take a cell phone, I can walk into any of the bars or restaurants that are listening right now. I could take a very basic cell phone video of a bartender with noise and it's dimly lit and there's no editing and I can post it and the thing will go crazy. It's frustrating. One of the struggles for creators is, okay, how do I make sure I get it in front of them? And some of those other lists, whether it be text lists or email lists, have been one of the ways that we've been trying to grow so that we can get stuff in front of them in a more targeted way. One of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because I think that marketing is a critical component of running a successful bar or restaurant. And an essential element of marketing is the ability to build audience through storytelling. I think most independents aren't on social media because they haven't built that muscle yet. They don't know what to say. How did you build that muscle over time, especially as someone that was a novice when you first started? To me, a huge portion of it comes down to the content that you create more than the copy that you put out. I think sometimes we assume that the content that we are sharing is as interesting to everybody else as it is to us. And so we put a lot of time into how we describe it and we think that people are going to read it. But for me, the focus was, what's the visual? You can have the most amazing picture ever, but on Instagram right now, what have they told you? We're not a picture sharing platform right now. They're a video sharing platform. So, I mean, your story can get lost by not picking the right content for the platform. And so what we really try to do and what we tapped into early on, I'm not saying that we intended to do this. It was a, as a happy accident was tapping into content that told the story without people having to read or hear from us the story. I mean, nobody knew, still nobody knows who I am. It's not like I'm an industry guru that people are like, oh, Jabin, I really need to hear what he has to say. Primarily, they're getting our perspective through the content we create or the content that we share. We have to realize it's a very visual platform. If they want to read long-form content, they'll go on your website or blog or something else. You have to tell the story through the visual. 
the beautiful thing about that is that with the tools that we have now and what I just described earlier about the fact that sometimes the more beautiful content and more edited content doesn't do well, you can tell your story with a cell phone on social. You can present what you want to present about your cocktail program or your menu or whatever. And I'm not saying don't give any thought to copy, but the actual video is going to tell more of a story than people reading beyond the first few lines of your copy. Seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're gonna learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of this as much as possible. When the well is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. Something that I think independence can take away from your life and your career and especially license to distill is that you've spent a lot of time, as you referenced earlier, highlighting the stories of others in your community and the cocktail community, other creators. Talk to me about the direct effects that bringing attentions to others has done to help you scale your audience and your business. Well, I think the biggest way that it's helped us scale is it's opened up the amount of content that we can share. So I'll give you an example. We tell people often that social media is a beast. And if you really want to grow, you need to have a regular cadence of content. And a lot of times when we talk to potential clients, they're like, oh, we got plenty of content. And then like two weeks in, they're like, we're out of content. (laughs) They're thinking about like one photo shoot that they did or one video shoot. And you're like, okay, here's your five posts this week and or three posts this week or whatever. You start eating some of that stuff up and it's like, oh, this is a beast. But because we've created this community where people know that we will share their content, or that we will work together and collaborating content or producing content remotely, it really opens us up to be able to share more because it's not reliant on us having to be there in every place. So what that's done is that's fed a social media beast that has enabled us to continue to grow versus you have some beautiful content creators on social that you'll see posts from them every couple of months because creating, especially video content, is a lot of work you know? And so that's been a huge help. In some ways, it's also been the large community has also been a detriment to us, I think, in some ways, in that I think people are less apt to try to help. For instance, we create content with another creator and we're the behemoth in the room. So when they repost it, they don't even mention us. We're We're just the vehicle. And so we don't really get introduced to their audience like we would if it was like, They felt like we were both bootstrapping it. It's a plus and a minus, but we created this 
with the goal of being a platform for others. And so I'll take the minuses with the ability to continue to shine a spotlight on people that we really think a spotlight should be shown on and give them the opportunity to grow their pages and their platforms. Whatever small negatives come with that, we're good with it. We're happy to be the biggest ones there to try to be a good platform for others. Well, it seems like collaborations have been fuel for innovation for you, especially when looking at projects like bartenders and beekeepers. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, love that. So that's a new series that we just launched on YouTube, and it definitely was a collaboration. It was fueled by, we've done a lot with one of our favorite gin brands, Bar Hill Gin, who is really embedded into the beekeeping community. They do a thing called Bees Knees Week, one of the most famous cocktails, Bees Knees. They do a Bees Knees Week where they give back to beekeeping efforts and foundations that are helping the cause of bees. So in 2021, as we were looking at ways that we could be a partner for them to shine the spotlight on Bees Knees Week, we gathered a group of bartenders in LA and we took them to a beekeeping experience outside of LA where they got fully suited up, got the education about beekeeping, got fully suited up, went into the hives and we Terrifying. started pulling, yeah, pulling out boards, identifying the queen in these hives, talking about, you know, with the experts, what was going on, what we were seeing, and then harvesting honey on site that they then took and created their own cocktails with, signature cocktails with. So it went really well. We, we filmed it for mostly for Instagram. But going into this year and looking at YouTube as an opportunity to do some longer form content, we reignited the discussion with Bar Hill about, hey, why don't we take this on the road? The visuals are so stunning when you get with these bees and in these different environments that now we want to take it from like the vertical Instagram space to the widescreen you know, YouTube space. So we collaborated with them to identify bartenders in three different markets, San Francisco, New York, and Miami. And then identified interesting beekeepers in those markets and took the bartenders to have that beekeeping experience. And the beekeepers were vastly different. One was a really cool guy that just does it in his backyard in San Francisco. And he kind of stumbled into beekeeping. And then as we're with these bartenders and we're, we're harvesting this honey and he invites us into his house to make drinks. And it turns out he's like an awesome at-home bartender. And he's not making drinks for the bartenders, which is a really cool twist that we didn't see coming. But then in New York, it was an urban beekeeper. We were on buildings five, six stories high, pulling boards out of the boxes in the middle of New York. And then in Miami, we were out in the middle of a field where the bees pollinate orange trees. And so just varying degrees, but seeing the bartenders get this experience and see how much the bees affect not only what we eat, but what we drink and go from a frightening experience, as you described, to now being really comfortable around bees and understand them a lot more, not have the fear of them, but more of an appreciation was really cool. Really cool. So that series is on YouTube now, the first three episodes. I want to keep unpacking the idea of collaboration. So I always think it was one of the critical ingredients that made me successful as a restaurateur was the fact that we weren't afraid to work with other restaurants, other chefs, other brands to elevate theirs, to elevate our own. And over time, I developed a formula, what I thought the essential elements of a successful collaboration were. Do you have that formula? And if so, what is it? What do you look for in a collaboration? So every piece of content that we create, I do as a collaboration. So obviously, there's usually a brand involved, but not always. We create content that we're not getting 
compensated for that we just want to create. But inevitably, it's going to involve a videographer at the very least that is far more talented at videography and editing than I am. It's also going to involve a subject because it's not generally, it's not me in front of the camera. So it's going to involve a bartender. So the way I've always approached collaboration with License to Distill is that I'm not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to all the elements that go into great content. So we really lean on and encourage people to give their ideas, their thoughts, and enable them to do what they do without micromanaging them or telling them, we'll start with the bartender and be like, what do you want me to make? It's like, what do you want to make? What do you got going on? I'm not going to tell you what to make. You know, there's obviously some direction that we give, but it definitely is always collaborative because that's when that bartender makes drinks better than I do. My videographer makes videos better than I do. And he edits videos better than I do. There are some things I can bring to the table and out of the discussion as well. And I do. But for me, I want to put those people in a position where they can be as creative and as successful as they can be. And that just shows through in the content. And I think the other thing that is involved in that is not feeling like it needs to be about us. And that's one thing that has been a blessing is that I'm not the subject of the content, which it was intentional. So when we come to a collaborative group to create content, we're coming from a place of humility, really, of knowing that you're the rock star. All we're here to do is document it. You mentioned humility. And I want to look at the other side of the coin, which was before you had a million followers on Instagram. Now you reach out to people and you're like, hey, do you want to collab? And people are like, oh, this guy's bigger than Chip. Let's do it. But I'm sure it was a very different situation years ago. When you were like, hey, do you want to collab? And they're like, how many followers do you have? And you're like, 18. And growing rapidly. We had 16 yesterday. Those are um, our TikTok numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that everybody wonders where to start. And it's really easy to look at someone where you are now and forget that that was a process. Those numbers evolved and grew over time. In the early days, when there was little to no audience, how did you approach collaborations in a way that created value for the people you were partnering with? That's a really good question. You'd be surprised how many people don't respond to wanting to collaborate because they've got their own idea of what they want. I mean, at the end of the day, we're still creating very subjective content. There are people and brands that are like, they may not even look at the follower account at the top of the page. They may just be like, we have a different direction that we want to do. I think for us, it's more of trying to collaborate with people that are like-minded, not in the fact that they just want to agree to every bit of content that we want to create, but that see the value in working together to create something that's really impactful and really cool. And I think with social media and with content in general, there's sometimes people that just, you could put any number of followers in front of them. And it's just not, they just don't get it. It's not what they want. It's not what they care about. They've got another direction. But there's also people that are like, we love the content, whether you have a thousand followers or a million followers. And you see that on social. You see there's a lot of micro-influencers that still work with a ton of brands. And you look at their stats and they're still really low, but the brands are like, we love your content. Those are the people that we're after because at the end of the day, what we have found is when we try to work with the ones where we're like trying to convince them that we should do something, inevitably what they want us to do is create content that looks and feels exactly like their content. And that's not collaboration. They could go hire a production company and say, we want to shoot this commercial. Here's the storyboard. 
Here's what the people are going to look like. Here's what they're going to say. That's not what we do. We take your product or your message and we create content around that that looks and feels like our content. That's not for everybody, no matter what our following is. But it's just a matter of identifying the brands and the people that are down to do that. (laughs) They're excited about it and see the value of it. And I'm sure the follower count gets us in the door, but it's not going to get us budget unless they're really behind it. Would you say there's also something to be said, especially in the realm of collaboration, that you've got to have a thick skin? I recently started a project where we have a ton of collaborative partners. And I went to the biggest and the best and got a lot of no's, a lot of no's. And I was talking with my mentor about it. And he was like, how many no's have you gotten? And I was like, like two dozen, three dozen. And he goes, oh, bro, you got, <laughs> you got like way more no's to get through before you even can consider deserving a yes. And so I think that when it comes to audience building and collaborations, you've got to realize, kind of like you said, just to reiterate the point, that it's not really about you. It's about them and where they're going. It may or may not be a direct reflection of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, we're creating things that are very subjective. And let's face it, for a lot of this, when it comes to the brands that we end up partnering with, there isn't a direct line that they can draw off of our video and direct sales. I mean, a lot of this is awareness and general marketing, just like doing a commercial on ESPN is. It's like, how do you measure the success of that? A lot of it is subjective. Do they like the content? And it's just like going to an art gallery. There's some stuff you might look at and be like, I don't like that. And we have to understand that that's what we're doing. But what we try to stay true to is, hey, that's not a problem. And we're not going to take that personally. But we're also not going to do is start creating what you consider to be the best art in the world, but it doesn't work for us. Like we're just realizing, hey, not a good fit right now. No problem. There's plenty of brands and plenty of people to collaborate with that it will be a fit for. And let's just focus in on those. Let's make some let's make some great content and eventually they may change their mind or they may not. And we may never work with them. And that's okay. That's not a problem. What are your goals for 2022 and beyond? We're going to continue to drive more long form content lessons to distill. We're never going to get away from what our core bread and butter is, shorter form vertical content, but we're going to continue to do more deeper storytelling, longer form content with different YouTube series. My goal for License to Distill, not only in the coming years, but the larger goal is to have License to Distill be the Netflix for booze. We may not be creating all the content and all the series, but we want people to be able to go to License to Distill on YouTube and say, I want to learn how to make basic cocktails. There's a series for that. I want to do a deeper dive into certain spirits, like the process of making tequila. There's a series for that. I want to learn about this bartender who's visiting hidden bars all over the world and featuring those. There's a series for that. And that's maybe a lot of those series we're actually producing or creating. And maybe some of them we're again are doing what we did on Instagram and we are a platform to allow other storytellers to be a part of it, shine a light on them, but we're presenting it in a cohesive place where people can get any type of booze content they want from our channel. So that's our large goal. And we're building out more and more of the series as we go along, but we're trying to do it in a systematic way. So we're looking to have more series in end of this year and beginning of next year that we can roll out 
And then the ultimate goal is to have a lot more content that people can enjoy on YouTube and our other channels, but the longer form content on YouTube. You sit and you have this very interesting vantage point because you've worked with brands and bars and restaurants of varying sizes. And you've seen some thrive and I'm sure you've seen some falter. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? I would love to see more fun and less taking ourselves too seriously in this industry. Now, I do want to say to your audience, I'm coming from more of the craft cocktail world than the food side of things, right? I mean, that's, I'm a little bit more in the weeds on craft cocktail bars, which tend to, in the past, depending on the bar, tend to take themselves really, really seriously. And you feel it when you go in. And yeah, the drinks are amazing. Whatever the food that they offer is amazing. They're precise in the way they make their drinks, but they can lack some personal touch and just having a relaxing and having a good time. They can feel very stuffy at times. And I think there is a shift that's already happening. And hopefully it is, especially coming out of COVID. Where it's like, let's not take ourselves too seriously. And we've gone to some places recently that we absolutely love that are not your prototypical cocktail bars. But the cocktail programs are phenomenal, but it's in a much more casual setting. And you know what? It just feels good. It's like, okay, I've got a great cocktail. I don't feel like there's a laundry list of rules that I have to read to be here. And so I think some of that just comes from relaxing a little bit. And there's times I remind people like, we're making drinks. This is a very social thing. It should be fun. It should be what you do with your friends when you're at home or when you go out, you want to have a good time. You don't want to be made to feel like you have no idea what you're talking about. The bartender knows everything and you're going to drink this. And if you don't like it, there's probably something wrong with your palate. Like to me, those days are over for me personally. I'm still a bit of a cocktail snob. Don't get me wrong. I want to have a great drink, but you know what? I'd much rather be able to do that in an environment where it's fun, where the bartender doesn't take himself too seriously, where we get to have a great interaction. The people with us get to have a good time. And we leave there with all positive vibes in terms of the experience. And we got to enjoy great drinks. That's Jabin Troth. For more on License to Distill, visit licensetodistill.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.